Amen. You may be seated. Hannah and Maisie, thank you for using your gifts in music as an offering to the Lord. That really does facilitate our worship to God. Well, I encourage you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. This sermon to the Hebrews will continue in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Uh, what really may be some of the most familiar words uh, in this uh, sermon in the New Testament, certainly some of the most inspiring and uh, motivating words. So I've, I've really been looking forward to uh, sitting under these words with you. But uh, let's ask where we are in the story. That's an important question anytime we open God's Word together. Uh, the author to the Hebrews, we don't know exactly who this is. There's been plausible arguments for Paul or Apollos or maybe Barnabas, uh, but that in no way undermines the authority of God's Word and the truth that's before us. This pastor is writing with great compassion. He's writing with great concern for a young uh, Jewish uh, church that's struggling with their commitment to Christ. It's tempting to go back to what it is they know, what may be more comfortable and likely much safer in uh, the context in which they live. But the pastor here is telling them, uh, building a strong case through the scriptures that they know, that it's not safer. It's not a good idea. The old way, the old covenant has served its purpose for them. Uh, It's shown them their need to be cleansed, their need for forgiveness, so that they could draw near to God uh, in good conscience, but the old way and all of its sacrifices had no power to do this. It could not satisfy uh, the law's demands. So there is a new way, a better covenant mediated and ratified by a superior uh, high priest. So he's spent the last um, several chapters of this sermon, really beginning in chapter 7, building up the superiority of the Lord Jesus who offered the sufficient and necessary sacrifice and continues to intercede uh, for the children of God uh, before the throne. So now in chapter 10, he's reaching, I'm going to call it the summit. This is the, this is the pinnacle of his instruction. He summarizes uh, his point and begins to unpack uh, what it means for the church to be, um, or as a church here, to be united in Christ. And, and we like this, right? We need this. We need this unpacking of what it means uh, for us. Uh, So he's writing to all within the church, brothers and sisters. I'll begin reading at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's infallible, holy, and inspired word. Let's pray together. 
Lord, we do pray that you would take this word, your word, and imprint it upon our hearts and minds. We cannot do this. Only you can do this. Uh, By the help of your Holy Spirit, illumine us, Lord, unto what is true and good and right. Deepen our faith and grow our love for the Lord Jesus. Give us that assurance, that confidence, we pray, as we search your word together. We offer this in Christ's name. Amen. I thought I had it on here. I grabbed this hat off of the shelf uh, this last week. And maybe you've seen this before. I don't know. But uh, for those of you in the back, maybe a little harder to see. But in the front, it's, it's the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, and I, I think the baseball players are still on strike. But if they ever do play again, uh, I'm going to root for the Cardinals because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a baseball fan. Melissa doesn't like this idea. Um, but if you live in St. Louis, which Melissa has not, um, then you, be, you become a Cardinals fan because this is a baseball town. They love their Cardinals. Um, and so if you were raised a Twins fan, perhaps, or a Cubs fan, that might be even worse, a Rangers fan, what would it take then for me to give this to Melissa or to, to one of those other fans and to wear it around all day long? It would take a miracle. We're getting some good response this morning. Um, what would you have to concede, right? What would you have to admit to? Um, because when, when our allegiance or our commitment to these teams or to someone or something else is, is challenged, it's threatened, then there's, I mean, that's, that's difficult. Are you going to concede or will you, you go along with those around you? along with the culture, a very real situation that the church is facing right now. Um, Only they're not wrestling with an allegiance to a sports team, um, but it's an allegiance to Christ. The cost of committing themselves to the gospel, the cost of committing themselves to the instruction of the apostles. The New Testament church is young. They're struggling with commitment And when you compare that to the circumstances of our day and the relative freedom that we have to to worship, to proclaim the name of Jesus, we'd say, well, no wonder that they're struggling. No wonder this is happening. This is likely during the reign of Emperor Nero. I mean, here's a, a megalomaniac who is in no way friendly, he's in no way sympathetic to Christians. I mean, you could lose their property, they could lose their, uh, their freedom, even their lives. And so the author here, he's, he's warned them of the danger of rejecting the gospel, and he'll do this again before he's done with the sermon. But now, he wants to give confidence. He wants to instill some confidence. Oh, we need to hear this, don't we? The church needs to hear this at this very moment. They can have every confidence in Christ who has purified them and intercedes for them. And there's this expectation, a response that comes from such confidence. So, so why can we have this type of confidence? What is, what is driving this, our commitment? What does that commitment look like? And this is where we find answers in Hebrews chapter 10. The author reminds us again through, he spent nine chapters building up his argument that our confidence comes from our identity from who we are as children, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus. 
That's where our confidence comes from. A great price has been paid so that we can have access to the most holy place, into the very real presence of, of God the Father. And so the, the first several verses here are one sentence summarizing uh, what it is we've heard before. Then he applies and, and exhorts them. Verses 19 through 20, we're shown again. It's the sacrifice of Christ that gives us this access, restores our relationship as beloved children uh, to the Lord. The body of Jesus was torn apart, blood spilled to, to purify our innermost being. The gospel writers tell us that the night that Jesus was, uh, was crucified, that he breathed his last, that curtain separating the holy place from the most holy place in the temple was torn right in two. And so God shows us that the slaughtering of his own son brings healing to his people. The sun is pushed away and we are brought near. And so now there's, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. There must be sacrifice. Blood must be spilled. We know this. We've heard it uh, in chapter 9, verse 22 as an example. But the sacrifices brought by the people year after year could not um, satisfy. They only pointed to the reality. They're the shadow that pointed to the reality of Christ's one-time sacrifice. Um, so what we have right now um, is, is a right before the Father and an access to the Father that those in the Old Testament uh, did not have. So even as all of those animals, and we spent some time thinking about this, that the thousands of sacrifices, all the animals are slaughtered, God the Father is restraining His hand. Um, but at the cross... He strikes. He strikes His own Son so that we can go not with fear, but with confidence and boldness behind the veil. And so he continues the uh, sentence here in verse 21. Our confidence comes from the truth that we have this high priest. The high priest who has sat down completing this work, completing the work of atonement so we can have fellowship with our God. And notice the text doesn't say had a priest, but have a priest right now who continues to make intercession for us. Lord Jesus has not continued to sacrifice Himself. That work is done. But He takes our sin before the Father and He pleads for us saying, Father, I have paid for that. And I've paid for that too. Remember an old uh, AT&T commercial uh, featuring a swimmer, swimmer Ryan Lochte, and he, it shows him jumping off this dock into the ocean. And he's swimming with the sharks, and he's swimming with the manta rays, and he pops above the surface, and he's swimming through rain and, and, and sunshine. And uh, I guess it was, it was the London Olympic Games that this commercial was attached to. But he said, luck won't get you to the Olympic Games. You can't buy it. You can't hope for it. He says, luck didn't get me to London. I swam there. Friends, as we think about the sacrifice of Jesus, we can dedicate ourselves and we can work hard towards something like an Olympic competition. But we cannot work hard enough. And we cannot swim our way to salvation. I mean, there is no amount of earthly effort 
on this earth that you can offer to God to earn His favor, secure your place in His family. That offering has been made. And as we confess our sin before the Father and acknowledge our need for His mercy, He says, yes, child, this may hurt, but it's been paid for. It's been paid for. And He says it over and over and over again. How do you respond to that? When our sin, which is just an affront to God's holiness, we spit in the face of the Lord God who has every reason to justly destroy us, but He says it's paid for and you're forgiven. How should we then live? And that's where the preacher goes in these last few verses, verses 22 through 25 tells us that because we have such unashamed confidence, we are to commit ourselves in true worship, true confession, and true concern for one another. I want to look at uh, all three of those briefly. True worship, true confession, and true concern uh, for one another. And this is, this is the best part. This is the climax. Uh, the church is, is to apply the blessings of Christ's atonement to their lives. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. A true heart is a cleansed heart. A believing heart, submissive to the Lord and His instruction. And if we have such a confidence to enter God's presence, then that's something we need to do. And we need to do that often. We're not to shrink back, but to draw near to God. This drawing near is a call a call to, to worship, calling us to a life of, of prayer. In his book, A Praying Life, uh, Paul Miller reminds us of this continual need to go before the Lord wherever we are, in whatever circumstances we may be facing. Um, and that we don't have to be, part, we don't have to have it all together in order to come into the Lord's presence, which should be a relief because we never have it all together. And so we, we, we come with gratitude. We come with praise. We come with our burdens, bringing it all before the Lord. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's what your schedule looks like in this upcoming week. Parenting challenges. Maybe it's just keeping the car running. Or you're starting to you know, weed the garden and, and prepare the, the lawn, planning for a trip. But drawing near... We bring this before the Lord. And then we watch how he, how he directs and how He tunes our hearts through this as we bring these things to Him in prayer. I'm encouraged by the way that you pray as a church, by the significance of prayer in the life of this church. Because as we communicate, as we draw near in this way, it brings hope, it brings courage, comfort, conviction. This is the essence of true worship. Drawing near, certainly coming together in, in corporate worship. This has a great benefit necessary for followers of Christ. But it's not just a command to come on Sunday morning. We, we get as close to that as we can here in verse 25. We'll talk about it in a second. But drawing near with a conscience that has been transformed, set free for the cleansing power of God. And that, that is a whole life response. Now our lives are a sacrifice to the Lord. Paul tells us in Romans 
12. His praise is continually on our lips. His thoughts, the Bible that's in front of you, those are our thoughts. His love is our love. That's true worship. We also respond with true confession. Uh, committed to the gospel instruction uh, entrusted to us. This is in verse 23. Uh, standing on the truth is not a popular idea. In our day and age, it wasn't a popular idea 2,000 years ago. Truth it tends to be rather cavalier or maybe even intolerant. You know, it doesn't take us long to look at uh, the political scene to see how this works. If there's any concern for truth, something that is normative for humanity, according to God's design, that may be taboo if you want to be heard. It certainly is if you want to be elected. So church family, we need to uh, remember that what we think uh, and believe matters. Uh, the truth of the gospel is the foundation of our hope. Because what, what we believe will inform our life and our actions. It really is that simple. One of the great apologists of the last century, Francis Schaeffer, uh, he, he makes the point simply, what people are in their thought world determines how they act. It's true of Michelangelo's chisel, and it's true of a dictator's sword. That's where it starts. What we believe is true and right in our gut. It determines how you're going to respond in the everyday uh, circumstances of life. You've heard that little phrase, maybe even used it on occasion. It goes something like, you know, theology doesn't matter as long as we are living good lives. Hit the eject on that thought. Um, it is false. The hope that you and I rest in and confess is grounded upon the grace of God and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Hold fast to that confession because it's grounded in the very character of God Himself. That's what's going to transform us, transform the way you think, the way you see things, the way you act. It takes us into that final exhortation, verse 24 and 25 confidence in the work of Christ we are to stir up and encourage one another in love and in good works uh, showing true concern uh, comes out of this and that word spur in verse 24 stir up in the original language <clears throat> it actually means to provoke or to irritate one another uh, how spiritual does that sound at first blush it's used only one other time in the New Testament where Paul and Barnabas are in disagreement. They're irritated with each other. And they're irritated over, uh, over Mark and whether he should continue to, to join them. This is in Acts 15. But now that strong disagreement, that irritation, is being applied not to drive apart, but to bring together. We are to provoke one another in the best sense of the word, to embrace the gospel that we profess. So our brothers and sisters should be encouraged in their walk with the Lord. They should be encouraged to take the Bible seriously because of how you and I handle ourselves. That's gospel irritation. Investing and in, taking interest in the affairs of one another. Not, not to pass judgment. I think we have to make a correction right away. 
but to help, to carry each other's uh, burdens. Now, I want to unpack this just a little bit more. I'll be a little more candid here in this application. When you're a part of the church, particularly a smaller church, um, which you have to be willing to take on some risk, uh, be willing to be known in relationship. There's not a lot of folks who identify with Trinity Fellowship Church. Um, it can be a tremendous blessing because you, see, you can see the church for what it is and what it should be, and you can experience that in the church. But a challenge that we're faced with, and this is in all places, but I think particularly in a smaller community, is, is communication and gossip. Um, when we're in a, in a relatively small uh, setting, word travels fast. They can travel quickly, right? Um, but how it travels and for what purpose is really important. Gossip is taking that information, maybe true about someone, and using it to, to pass judgment or hurt a reputation. And typically, it's to protect the one sharing it, um, or, or maybe make us look better, or at least feel better by sharing it. Um, Psalm 18.8 says, The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. We love that juicy information. Yeah, that's really too bad. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, can't believe that happened. But inside, what are we often thinking? Well, I'm glad that's not me. Glad I'm not faced with that. Glad I didn't have to make that decision or glad I didn't make that decision. You hear how divisive that can be? Um, and, and I offer this not because I'm seeing something within Trinity Fellowship Church, but it's, it's something that is, that is common as we see how, how deadly gossip can be in the life of the church because it actually stains the heart of the one who hears it and is tempted to pass it along. So gospel irritation takes that information, takes what's being shared and discerns whether this can be passed along safely and wisely or whether it needs to stop and go, go back to the source. Let's be thinking about that um, as we irritate one another with the gospel. Uh, don't give up meeting together here on a Sunday morning or when you see each other in a coffee shop or you pass each other in Kroger or some other place. Encourage one another. Laugh together. Cry together. Gossip the gospel to one another because that's what we need if we are going to stay committed and finish this race well. Again, we're confronted with, with the truth that we need one another in the body of Christ. We need to meet together and share in this flesh and blood relationships. We need to share the same space. We need to share the sacraments together. Share in service to others. You know, we've really watched over the last you know, couple of years how the circumstances around us, driven by fear and self-preservation primarily, have kept God's people from meeting. Now, is that wise and necessary at times? I think so. I think so. But I also think that that time has passed. Um, all too quickly, uh, we, I mean, we, we, will, we will give way to the marketplace of convenience of what's online. And we're deceived. This is deception. We're deceived into thinking that we're living faithfully and getting all that we need. And even as I say that, it's telling, isn't it? Because when we're in front of a screen most of the time, well, we're, we're getting, getting, getting. 
The posture of life in the church is about what? It's about giving and, and serving. So let's be those who push back against the isolation, this dominant view that, well, I'm all I need as long as I've got that screen in my pocket. Um, habits take initiative. They take time to form. But once that habit is in place, it's, it's harder to break. So meeting together, sharing life together as a church, it becomes easier the more we do this, the more it becomes more desirable as we meet together. Um, so I, I don't think I'm ready, put my hat somewhere down here, I don't think I'm ready to abandon the Cardinals yet, even though Melissa may try and convince me. Uh, I'm going to remain a Cardinals fan, I'm committed to them, even if it costs me a little bit. Um, but we have a greater commitment. We have a greater commitment and allegiance to the one who has given his life for us. Jesus is the perfect son. He's made the perfect sacrifice in the perfect place that we can have full confidence in drawing near to our God, resting in his promises. That's what we need to hear today. That's what the world needs to hear, may need to hear even more the time in which we live. That's our hope. May we be those who live like we believe that this week and in, in the times that we face. Would you pray with me?